0: Hi everyone, Quibus here. Very quickly before we get to today's show, I want to make sure that you know about our China Africa email newsletter that Eric and I prepare every day. This newsletter is the most comprehensive digest of everything that's going on in the fast moving China Africa space. From events in Guangzhou to what's going on with debt relief and of course how COVID-19 is transforming China's relationship with Africa. To find out more, head over to chinaafricaproject.com slash subscribe. Try it out free for two weeks, see if you like it, and if you're a student or a teacher, it's half price. Once again, that's chinaafricaproject.com slash subscribe.
1: The China and Africa podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Africa China Reporting Project at Witt University in Johannesburg. The ACRP promotes balanced, considered reporting on Africa-China relations through innovative training programs held throughout the year. More information at africachinareporting.co.za.
2: Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. A proud member of the Sinica Network from sub-China. I'm Eric Olander and as always I'm joined by Kobus Finstaden, the senior China-Africa researcher at the South African Institute of International Affairs in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good morning to you, Kobus. Good morning. Kobus, today we're going to revisit the power issue but from a very, very different side. Last time, if you recall, we were talking about hydroelectric dams in Guinea, but today we're going to be going to Zimbabwe, and Zimbabwe is a very interesting case, in part because there are chronic power shortages going on right now, uh, In and those power shortages have been brought on for a lot of different reasons, largely brought on by a lack of investment, a lack of capacity, and Zimbabwe's political and economic situation are dire in so many different ways, and the lack of electricity... Uh, just complements that now all this is kind of brought out brought about because in April which is last month Zimbabwe announced that a three billion dollar deal was signed for the sengua coal power plant and that would proceed now this would be a deal between the state-owned Chinese company Gajoba and also Rio Zim which is a subsidiary of the Australian giant uh, Rio Tinto this is potentially a very very big deal uh, more so for a country like Zimbabwe that a currently experiences massive, massive chronic power shortages., uh, let me just give you a few little details on the deal so that'll set up our conversation today. Gajoba is going to do the actual construction, and they would then help with raising additional capital. There's going to be a two hundred and fifty kilometer pipeline that will be built by the another Chinese state-owned enterprise called Power China. And apparently the Industrial Commercial Bank of China, ICBC, uh, is interested in getting involved, and the state-owned, insurance companies, Sinosure, which is critical for any of these state-owned enterprise projects, uh, they're also going to be getting involved. So we've got really the top tier of China's state-owned enterprises who do these big construction deals kind of on the table. Now, if everything goes according to plan, they're going to build the project in four phases, 700 megawatts at a time. Consider this. Right now, Zimbabwe only has about 1,300 megawatts of output, which is just about half of the 2,200 megawatts that the country needs every day. So that explains why uh, there are chronic power shortages and really electricity is not something that people take for granted. Also, Zimbabwe relies on hydroelectric power and that now runs into the climate change issue because of the ongoing drought. There simply isn't enough water to generate electricity. So adding 2,800 megawatts of additional capacity could make a huge difference, COBUS, uh, but at the end of the day, here we are yet again with a coal plant. And Kobus, you and I talked about this last year with the Kenya, uh, the, the Lamu coal-fired power plant in Kenya, where that did not go through. But a lot of these same issues came up. People need power and coal is on the table, but maybe coal isn't necessarily the right way to go.
0: Well, increasingly multilateral institutions refuse to fund any coal projects at all. Um, and, you know, kind of more and more, it's becoming standard that, that coal isn't even considered in, you know, kind of in new electricity projects. So this was surprising and dismaying to me, actually, um, because, you know, because China has such like massive capacity in, in all kinds of electricity generation, including um, renewable electricity generation. So the thinking behind this, I think, needs a lot of interrogation.
2: Kobus, we're going to take a look at this issue now in greater detail by talking to two very, very interesting people who are kind of rallying for a different alternative than coal. Richard Nkube is the Bertha Justice Fellow at the Zimbabwe Environmental Law Association. Welcome to the program, Richard. Great to have you on the program.
3: Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here and also discuss this important issue, which is uh, of major concern to us as an organization, but also to
2: Zimbabwe. Wonderful. Well, we're going to get into it uh, in detail, but we're also joined by Mela Chuponda, who's the coordinator for the Center for Alternative Development, also in Harare. Uh, She focuses on energy justice, climate justice, and gender issues. Mela, thank you so much for taking the time to join us as well.
1: Thank you very much, Eric, and uh, thank you for bringing me in. And I'm quite interested in this because of energy as a women's rights issue.
2: Okay. We do want to get to the gender issue because I think that's a very important aspect of this uh, let me start with both of you first, and we're going to go to Richard first, but then, Mela, I'd like to get your take on this as well. Uh, from the outside looking in, there is a deficit of about 1,000 megawatts a day. Coal, granted, is dirty, and it is not clean, but it is affordable, and it's a technology that can get going right now, very quickly. And the Chinese have a proven track record in building things fast. So, Richard, talk to us why this would be a bad idea to implement this, which would, on the one hand, solve many of Zimbabwe's power issues, but at the other hand, really create some issues on the climate change front. Talk to us a little bit about how you see the issue.
3: Well, it is not in dispute that uh, in Zimbabwe we have been having a number of uh, challenges due to electricity shortages. But obviously, we, 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 we this is a, a situation that we understand and know, but we don't want a quick fix. What we want is a sustainable solution that will be able to deal with all the challenges and also preserve the environment, both for the present generation and also for the future generation. So our understanding is that coal is not a viable um, project that they can embark on now. Why? Because we need uh, a sustainable solution that will protect our environment, that will also avoid future climate change impact and also impact on the social economic life of Zimbabwean as well as the single people.
0: Um, mela, w- why? What? Wh- what do you think the the um the Zimbabwean government's thinking was on this. Why make this choice, considering that several other African governments are building a lot of a lot of solar installations, also frequently with Chinese help and funding?
1: You know, the decision for, for this coal-fired powered uh, power plant is very worrisome to me because uh, the Sengwa is not going to be um, uh, the first one. We have the Wange, which is more than 100 years old. And uh, we also have um, uh, Munyati uh, thermal power station, which is producing nothing um, uh, at the moment. And we also have the Blawayo, which is producing nothing, and the Harare, which is working at extremely low capacity. And I'm saying that we have not been able to sustain um, uh, the, coal, the existing coal-fired power plants. They have not been able to sustain themselves because... Uh, the government is saying that the equipment there is absolute and and also that uh, 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 there are some technical issues and as we um, uh, as the as, as the whole world uh, we are moving away from coal um, I I am trying to understand the logic because for someone like me it doesn't make sense that we have absolute equipment absolute plants um, thermal plants which are not working and then we want to invest in a new one and why can't the government in the meantime, as we start looking at what would a just transition look like uh, transitioning to renewable energy, why can't we make use of these existing um, uh, uh, obsolete um, uh, coal-fired power plants? Why, why can't we do something to the existing ones instead of taking um, uh, um, a loan of 3 billion, this is massive. So it's not making sense to me in a lot of France and uh, uh, as well that uh, uh, Zimbabwe is exporting part of the coal and and, uh, Wange is not operating at full capacity. It is operating below capacity. And what is the point uh, uh, to make new investments? So this is the question that uh, uh, is really raising eyebrows. And that money is huge. It
2: is huge. Well, you're on the ground. You're in Harare. Why do you think that the government is investing massive new money into new power plants when the existing power plants, like is are broken down, don't have spare parts, are not running properly? Why not just fix those rather than spend all this new money on a new one?
1: I I, I think it's a lot of issues. And I I, I cannot rule out the issue of um, um, uh, elite corruption there because uh, we have four thermal power plants in the country and it, it does not make any sense for us to invest in new ones and and also just the effect of capital accumulation there is uh, 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 that rio zim sees an opportunity for, for 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 it to 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 make lots of lots and lots of money uh, out of that and then uh, they are just grabbing without uh, uh, uh the Zimbabwe power company making any decisions without making any decisions which are which are strategic to the industry I want to rule out uh, uh that uh, there is um a uh, potential for elite looting there because for me it does not make any economic sense whatsoever whatsoever We have four fi- uh, uh coal fired power plants two are working below capacity two are not working at all so yeah, this, this, is, this is just um, my own imagination. This is what I think, because I can't see the reason why.
0: Richard, um, how have the, the, the general population in Zimbabwe, how have they received the news, especially considering that this is a massive, big, m- a massive loan that is going to saddle future generations with, with m- big repayments?
3: Okay, I think the starting point is to note that um, this project has been in the pipeline uh, for quite some time. And uh, basically, there isn't information out there with regards to this project. So it might be very difficult to basically gauge uh, the public's perception with regards to this project. But what I can tell you is that public interest uh, organization like um, Zimbabwe Environmental uh, Law Association, the organization that I work for, and other like-minded organizations have actually been trying to uh, look at it from a number of uh, fronts. One, the social economic impacts, the climate change impacts, and the financial implications on the pop- population and citizens. So what we are trying to say is that when you look at this proposed uh, project and all these effects, that does it make sense to proceed with the project or it makes sense to invest in renewable energy. So we need to look at it uh, in such a way that we don't impose unnecessary burden on the citizens in, in, in future.
2: So Richard, let me just very quickly follow up on that. Do you think the objection to this plant is more towards the Chinese or is it more towards your own government?
3: The, the obligation uh, is on the government because we, 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 the, the government obviously has obligations towards its citizens. And one of the obligations of the state towards its citizens, which is the government of Zimbabwe, is to ensure that uh, it protects uh, its citizens from, uh, obviously, the climate change effects, and also protect its future generation. So the frustration is really on the government. We want the government of Zimbabwe to take uh, the best decision that will be in the interest of the public that will also benefit uh, the great number of uh, these Zimbabweans. So we we, we we are really interested in seeing the government decision centered on people's interest as opposed to anything else and centered on protecting the environment as opposed to anything else and centered on protecting the life of the future generation. Because in any event, if we have challenges or of electricity, why not invest in uh, solar, for instance?
0: Mela, can you talk to us a little bit about the coal specifically? Like, where does this coal come from, um, and is it you know is it supporting kind of uh, like which coal mines are are supposed to be favoured in in um, in this deal?
1: You, you know um, uh, the, the the challenge which I I really have with uh, with the coal Zimbabwe, of course. I understand we have um, uh, quite a lot of uh, coal deposits. But we also have a lot of untapped solar. So uh, my, my huge problem with, with coal is that it affects uh, uh, people who are poor because a lot of these coal extraction, these coal-fired po- power plants, they are set up in rural areas. And if we look at Sengwa, where Sengwa is situated, It is uh, a place which is uh, uh, very far away. Uh, The the community of Sengwa is geographically marginalized. They they live in 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 an area which is prone to climate-induced disasters like droughts. And the current predictions, they show that uh, 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 they may face uh, floods in the next coming season. And uh, for the government to invest um, uh, in a project, in a Coal-fired power plant at a time when we do not have water. I mean, the 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 our harvest in Zimbabwe, our our grain harvest in Zimbabwe, are uh, during the 2018-2019 uh, farming seasons. We only managed to scratch half of what we need in this country, and now coal is a huge consumer of water. It consumes water, uh, 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 quite a lot of it. And this is why there is the plan to build, uh, to construct that water pipeline. But we are saying that water is also supposed to be consumed by the people. Water should be for the people. And the people in Gokwe North, there is only one river, the Sengwa River. And my challenge with all this is that the household burden on the women, on, on, on the women of Sengwa it is going to be increased and, and and also the care burden because coal is a public health issue. Coal is a public health issue in terms of lung diseases and in the end, in terms of also uh, uh, acid rain, for example. And this is going to affect the women in Sengwa who are largely peas and farmers. So the, the issue of investing in coal is a justice issue. It's a women's rights issue. And whether we have a a billion um, tons of of, of coal deposits in Zimbabwe, do we need coal when actually we are only harnessing just 1% of the solar potential in this country? And let me just say, the uh, 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 access to electricity in rural areas, it is standing at 20%, which I would say uh, is quite a lot because it includes the commercial farmers and the mines, which are in rural jurisdictions. Ninety-eight percent of the women in Zimbabwe's rural areas, including those who are hosting these coal-fired power plants, they live in extreme energy poverty, using biomass and firewood for cooking. So I do not understand why they should host coal-fired power plants and. Um, uh, 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 I think it is time that Zimbabwe just harnesses its solar potential because we do have a lot of solar. And uh, uh, just uh, uh, a little bit adding on to to what um, uh, uh, Richard is saying, that the government has an obligation to protect its citizens. The government has an obligation to protect the future generation from the impacts, from the devastating impacts of coal, and the government has an obligation to be good custodians of our resources. So I think uh, 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 the government should just abandon this uh, uh, Sengwa coal and uh, transition to renewable energy.
2: So Richard, Mela has laid out the case of all the, the, the negative impact of all this, and there are many. Uh, from the gender impact to the environmental impact to the rural communities. And and I think it's well established that coal uh, does create those types of problems. But the money's on the table right now. Everything is lined up. Power China's lined up. Sinosur is lined up. Everything's good to go. You have the opportunity right now to actually close the energy deficit. It may not be ideal. And I'm playing devil's advocate here, so I'm not trying to persuade anybody. But I just I want to understand something is that Perfect is sometimes the enemy of good. And right now, Zimbabwe faces a a power deficit of about 1,200 megawatts per day. This would close that. Is there an argument to be made that says, okay, we've got everything lined up here because if this goes away, you may not get it back again. There is a sense that the Chinese are not, they don't have the appetite to do these big infrastructure deals anymore. So you tell the Chinese to go away on Tsengwei, you're not necessarily going to get them back to do a big power deal in solar or whatnot. Is there a case, is there any scenario that you see, Richard, that says, okay, let's take this one and fight the next war somewhere else?
3: Well, I'll speak uh, from a legal point of view. I look at the legal obligations that the country has at international level. I look at the legal obligation that the state has at national level. And those obligations, when we look at this project, we should be able to say, uh, is the country not regressing? Because just to take the money, because the money is there at the expense of the public, I don't think it's a good idea. We don't have to continue uh, making mistakes because we want to fix one challenge. It's like you want to fix uh, this challenge today that you see today so that you create other challenges in the future. That's not the way to, to go about I think the government should be fair to say if this project is going to cause all these consequences to our citizens, would rather we are better off finding other solutions to the electricity challenges, gradually uh, exploring all the uh, opportunities that are in terms of renewable energy, trying to attract other investors, or even negotiate with the same China to, to, to invest the same $3 billion into renewable energy. Why is it difficult? Because they should lay out the case to say, look, these are the challenges that they can be posed. For instance, we might have a situation where uh, the communities can be relocated in order to pave way uh, to this project. So we don't want that. And what we are saying is that the government also has an opportunity to make the right decision. And once they make the right decision, the better for everyone.
2: There is some precedence for this. Uh... So it, in in May of this year, uh, Zambia's national power company ZESCO signed more than a half a billion dollars in contracts with Power China. The same Power China, by the way, that's building the pipeline that's going to bring the water that Mela talked about to Sengwe, and they are going to be building 600 megawatts of electricity uh, that will serve a, th- uh, a million customers in Zambia. So I guess there is some precedence now to show that solar can work on a large scale in. An economically challenged environment like Zambia and like Zimbabwe.
0: No, um, actually, yeah, to, uh, I'm picking up on that, um, Mela, I wanted to ask you, um, how um is civil society in Zimbabwe going to take this forward? Like we saw before in in Kenya, that there was actually a court case that stopped a similar, a similar project um, that was planned for Lamu, um, which is a, a UNESCO World Heritage site. Um, you know, are there any plans to take the government to court or to or for any other kind of campaign against the project?
1: Uh thank you very much uh sure uh there is uh, actually i think uh, maybe richard will talk more about uh the legal issues surrounding that but we do have uh, a strategy uh, uh, a campaign which we are we are putting in place uh to say no to 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 the coal fired power plant a campaign just like the the decolonize uh campaign um uh, in kenya that we we also need our country to to decolonize, but as well there is a lot of um, uh, 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 grassroots education or even education on the part of um, of civil society groups in Zimbabwe. You know this rhetoric around uh, clean coal, you know, um, uh, that uh, the coal sector always talks about clean coal, and I think uh, uh, sometimes uh, uh, some of the civil society groups and some of the communities they are also listening to the dominant um uh, uh, thinking around uh, coal that you know we can actually have clean coal, which for me is just a myth. Because um uh coal, apart from all that, apart from trying to to, 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 to remove all the all the, the harmful, uh 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 the, the, the harmful uh uh elements, the minerals and all, coal is just unsustainable for, for, for a country like Zimbabwe. So we are in the process of building a campaign and we would like as well to uh, uh, to create platforms where communities who have been devastated by coal in the existing coal-fired power plant area, which is hosting Wange, can actually come together with the communities in Sengwa and they can share their stories around uh, the, the impacts of coal because Wange... That Wange is a death trap and it has been. Uh, we do have widows of workers that died in, in um, uh, 1973, I think 1972, 1973, who are still waiting for compensation up to now for the death of their husband and for their of their husbands. And we are not even talking about People who are dying of lung cancer and all that. So, I think what needs to be done is create spaces for the people of Zimbabwe to be sharing that. I know that what uh, the dominant thinking right now is you know what, we are facing an energy crisis, the country is not developing. But my question is always development, whose development and at what cost? Because I think the dominant development thinking and the dominant energy system, it generates education for production and not for the people. But when it comes to the cost of producing that energy, the people are the ones that are paying that cost. So we are doing something. We are doing something um, uh, at the level of challenging um, uh, realism and the government uh, through the legal processes, But we are also challenging in terms of building a campaign and also voicing our concerns as a people.
2: So what was very effective about what Decolonize did in Kenya for the Lamu plant was they tied the Lamu plant to China. And there is very much a connection between uh, ICBC, the Industrial Commercial Bank of China, the same ICBC that's also going to potentially get involved with the plant in Zimbabwe. Do you have any plans to, to, to follow the example that decolonized did in Lamu by connecting the Chinese to this power plant as well and the campaign uh, to oppose it?
1: Definitely, uh, definitely. And I, I, I know that um, uh, China in Zimbabwe is very engaging because um, we have engaged uh, 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 the Chinese embassy before some years back on the on the dam on mining in Marange and they are engaging. And I also... Um, um, uh, uh, think that that is also uh, a focus of the campaign because China has a lot of uh, renewable energy technologies. China is the biggest producer of, of solar PV. And, and as well, China, whilst China is, is uh, um, uh, um, uh, the biggest consumer of, of, of coal, China is also moving towards renewables, like uh, comparing 2007 and 2018, uh, their energy mix, they once had 80 percent of their energy coming from coal and now it's 64 percent. And I think the trend, even though I know that they could do better, the trend is they are moving away. And why should Zimbabwe increase uh, coal into their energy mix? When the whole world, we are not saying that uh, uh, China is the best in terms of, but we are saying that it is moving away. The trend is showing that it is moving away and we should do the same because the the, the, the whole world is also moving away. And as the world is moving away from coal, we even risk uh, um are uh, uh, investing in assets which are going to be absolute very soon, very soon, because I'm just wondering if right now the equipment in Wanga, the, the equipment in the other thermal power stations cannot be serviced because the technologies no longer exist. What about some some 20 years, or even maybe 10 years from now? Who is going to be responsible for that? I think Uh, We are investing in in absolute technologies as a country, and that is a huge issue. And I think um, uh, uh, China as well, we are going to engage them um, uh, in terms of giving them the option, talking to them, engaging them about why can't um, uh, they fund renewables in Zimbabwe.
0: Can you put it in, uh, Richard, can you um, put the the situation in the context of politics in Zimbabwe? Um, How much is riding um, on this project for the Nangagwa government?
3: The government of the day obviously uh, wants to, can use uh, this project one, because remember, this project is a massive project, and it has a potential of creating employment in Zimbabwe uh, currently. Uh, is a high unemployment uh, level. So obviously the government will ride on the fact that once they get this thing through, it will create a lot of employment and a lot of Zimbabweans will be employed. And that can also help them in terms of uh, getting support and also people supporting whatever they do. But then what what is really important is to uh, not to look at this at uh, quick gains, but also focus on uh, other things that might not be significant to either Zimbabweans or even go- the government now, but that will obviously have huge implications in the future. So obviously, I will say the government can use this project to create employment and also to point out that uh, they are inviting a lot of investors. Remember, the government of the day is saying Zimbabwe is open uh, for business. That's the mantra that they are operating with. And with that mantra, obviously, there is no doubt that this is is going to be one of their huge wins, given the fact that it's a 3 billion uh, project. But for us, we are not looking at it that way. We are looking at the implications of the proposed project and what it can do, the lives that you can destroy in the future.
2: Mela, I'd like to close our discussion today, and I'd like to get both, you know, Richard and your take on this. If you were to have an opportunity to sit down with Ambassador Guo Xiaochun, who is the Chinese ambassador in Harare, uh, to tell him about this project, and you may actually, what we saw out of Lamu was the decolonized activists uh, were invited to the Chinese embassy to meet with Ambassador Wu Peng uh, following the Environmental Tribunal's decision to to block it, and they were. It was interesting. It turned into a very big public diplomacy win for the Chinese who showed that they were actually very flexible in dealing with activists and protesters against the plant. Uh, interestingly enough, it was U.S. Ambassador Kyle McCarter who then tweeted the following week how that was a bad decision by Kenya and that coal is great because the Trump administration is a big supporter of coal. So interesting roles that we have here. But let's say that you have a an opportunity to sit down with Ambassador Gao uh, what would uh, Ambassador Guo? Sorry, what would you say to to the ambassador about the China's role in this project?
1: Uh, well, I I, I would uh, really, if I was uh, 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 going to engage with, with with him, and if it was my decision to make, I would really uh, advocate for them to to um, uh, invest in renewables, particularly solar energy, uh, in Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe has a lot of. Um, um, uh, potential for solar energy, and I think uh, um, uh, as well, I would actually um, um, advocate for them to support uh, even transitioning um, um, uh, from, from from coal. And because I think, yes, the government could talk about jobs, but there are no jobs on a dead planet, are they? Um, like uh, Zimbabwe's um, uh, history just recently we lost several hundreds of people to a climate-induced disaster like Cyclone Idai. Surely, um, uh, if we are going to uh, 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 invest in projects which destroy the resilience of the of the communities, it means that we are actually investing in death. So I think uh, 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 Chinese finance should be uh, 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 invested in responsible projects, in um, projects which are environmentally sustainable socially sustainable and even economically I mean the economic sustainability coal is no longer economically sustainable for the country so I think um, um, uh, it would be ideal and it would be um, um, uh, good for China to support the government efforts because right now the Zimbabwe power company it is rolling out a 500 million um um uh, uh, solar project in all the the, the 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 provinces in the country and i think that they creates um um An opportunity uh, for responsible investments because I think the solar energy, uh, sorry, the the, the kind of energy system which I'm visualizing, which we are visualizing as a center for alternative development, are decentralized energy systems, localized energy systems, which are solar driven, which are renewable energy, and even not the mega hydros, but even invest in other smaller hydros where uh, uh, the communities can have a say, the the, the people can have a say, and which actually uh, would be much cheaper than than the the mega uh, 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 energy projects that uh, the government is actually working on.
2: And Richard, what would you tell Ambassador Guo if you had the chance to sit down with him?
3: Thank you very much for raising that issue. I think... Uh, as an organization we also believe in engagement it's not only about advocacy public interest litigation but engagement is also key so basically for us what we'll do is to ensure that one we advise the ambassador to take a holistic approach uh look at the social economic climate change environmental implications of this project and where whether or not it, it it would make sense uh for the project to to, to proceed. So it's an issue of weighing the implications, not just looking at the issue of investment, but weighing the implications. I would obviously advise uh, the ambassador to direct the same investment towards something that will be sustainable, towards something that will protect the Zimbabweans, towards something that will ensure that the Chinese will not be Pointed at future that they are the ones who invested into this when people begin to suffer the consequences of this project. So I would obviously advise the Ambassador of China to also respect even the international obligations in terms of reducing the green green gas emissions. The the, the, the obligation that obviously emanate from the Paris Agreement to respect those uh, obligations and invest in renewable
2: energy. Richard Nkube is the Bertha Justice Fellow at the Zimbabwe Environmental Law Association. Uh, He joins us on the line from Harare, and Melle is the coordinator at the Center for Alternative Development, also in Harare. Thank you both for taking the time to join us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you
3: very
1: much, uh, um, uh, Eric. Thank you very much, Kobas.
2: It's our pleasure. But Richard, before we go, we want to leave people with some some opportunities to follow what you're doing if they want to learn more about the campaign. Richard, um, what's the best way for people to stay in touch uh, to learn more about the efforts that you're doing?
3: Uh, so, so as an organization, uh, we, we are obviously taking the legal route. There are a number of issues that we have actually requested from the government department that are responsible for this project. And when the need arises, we will obviously take this matter to court based on the circumstances. So I will leave uh, my email address uh, to the people so that they can get in touch my email address is Richard
2: okay well we'll put uh we'll put that uh, out there and also Mela, are you on social media and what if people want to connect with uh, the work that you're doing
1: okay yeah thank you very much so uh center for alternative development is part of the Africa call Network and we are part of uh, 350 and uh, we are also um, uh, uh working with other organizations like the 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 decolonized from kenya uh and uh they can get us on our website um uh www.cad.org.zw or they can um uh, come to our our facebook page uh which is uh center for alternative development but also um they can uh, uh, write us on email on, uh, on uh, mela.chiponda um, at cad.cor.org.zw.
2: Wonderful. Well, I will put links to all of that in the show notes. Richard, Mela, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thank you so much. Enjoy your day.
2: Cobus. it's so interesting because throughout the discussion with both Mela and Richard, I kept thinking of so many of the traditional China-Africa issues that have really in so many ways troubled the relationship over the past few years related to these large infrastructure projects are present in this one. And in many ways, this might very well be the last of these big mega projects in Africa for a long time, given what we're seeing now with COVID-19 and also the debt restructuring, that governments simply aren't going to be able to take on $3 billion, $4 billion of debt. And I don't think the Chinese are necessarily going to be willing to fork over that kind of money. But that being said, one of the themes that I kept hearing was transparency. And that, again, Mela, you know, she kept talking about how we just don't know why we need this project right now when we have these existing power plants that are being underutilized or can be maintained, and people just aren't articulating. Now, the Zimbabwean government is not necessarily well known for being very responsive to its constituents. There are lots of issues there. So the Chinese, maybe the Chinese, you know, just had this big machine that's going. And the fact that ICBC, Sinoshore, uh, Power China, Gajoba, these are Big players. Kajoba is the thirty-third largest infrastructure contractor in the world. So these are massive, massive companies, and this thing, this machine, the train, whatever metaphor you want to, you know, use, it started rolling a long time ago, and maybe it's just too hard to stop these things. You know, so this is a, a an idea that three or four years ago, when they first started the discussions on this, made a lot of sense, but today in twenty twenty in the era of covid 19 of debt restructuring of the chaos that exists in zimbabwean politics it may not make sense anymore and i just don't know if that the process can be stopped or changed
0: yeah i mean it's i find it very dismaying the idea of of spending this much money taking on this much debt for a country as poor as zimbabwe to build a a coal power a power, powered um, power plant, you know, that that's kind of locks the country into decades and decades of dirty energy is just, is really dismaying to me. It's like, I, I can't understand the thinking behind it.
2: Is it possible that it's corruption? I mean, this is what she kind of laid out, you know, Mel at the beginning of our discussion, that the only thing that she can foresee is that there's elite capture going on here. That is the only thing that she can see because it doesn't make sense on so many ev- you know, levels, you And Xi Jinping himself has talked about the green belt road, belt and road. This is the antithesis of the green belt and road. It just, again, on so many levels, this doesn't make sense. And why they can't pull the plug now and saying, listen, given the circumstances, the extenuating circumstances, we need to step back and reevaluate whether or not this is the best solution for Zimbabwe and for China, by the way, because there is no way that I can see how the Zimbabweans in the current environment can repay $3 billion in a timely manner. Right? I mean, am I missing something here?
0: Yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's such a a leadership vacuum in the world at the moment in in relation to climate change issues, you know. So for China to simply declare that they're not funding any more coal-powered plants and that's it, it's would be you know an amazing gesture because it would it would mean that china would step into this leadership role on this issue which has been abandoned by the us um you know so so there's there's a lot of goodwill to be to be mined out of that decision and i think the only the only reason they won't i think is because chinese state owned enterprises have so so much coal capacity that they want to use somewhere even if they're not using it in china but that that itself is you know is really worthy of criticism you know kind of the idea of 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 exporting those technologies elsewhere simply for this because you can still do it for the next 10 years even though it locks those countries into another several decades of pollution is terrible you know it really is terrible i think to do
2: and there's a playbook here
0: and in some ways
2: activists like Mela and richard uh, can benefit from the efforts that decolonized did in lamu because we saw that that worked and that by tying the chinese to this as and just and the chinese can't just get off by saying you know we are we're just the contractor they have some agency here in all of this the chinese can actually as you pointed out can say you know what this isn't the right thing for us we can pull a force majeure uh, clause in the contract covid allows for all of that now right i mean it's really you know it's one of the the upsides the few upsides of covid is that you can step back and say listen the world has changed from the time since we started this discussion to where we are today and it's interesting that Mela said that she they are connected with Decolonize. And one of the things that Decolonize did was, boy, they linked China and ICBC in particular to this Lamu coal power plant. Even though it was the Kenyan government that was driving it, and of the $2 billion for the, local, the Lamu coal power plant, uh, ICBC was only involved in $1.2 billion of that. So not even the entirety of the project. But there are some pressure points. And I'm wondering, Kobus, if... If now is not a bad time for activists to be pressuring the Chinese government given the sensitivities of all the other things that are going on particularly in the civil society relationship in the China Africa engagement scenario do you think that there's uh, an opportunity now to put pressure on ambassador Guo and the embassy in Harare to say this is not what we want and they might be more responsive because of all of the uprisings that we've seen on social media and in civil society or are there calluses now on their skin and they're just, they're, they've are just they got the battle guards up and they're not listening to any of this. What do you think the opportunities are for activists to break through to the Chinese on this?
0: I think this is a long-term thing um, and activists are just going to have to keep the heat on no matter what's going on. I, d- I actually don't think it's a particularly kind of um, fruitful time to raise it particularly right now simply because China is already in a defensive crouch. Um, you know, we've seen the, you know, really all shields up, you know, in relation to the outside world. And this includes, you know, the US and, and a lot of other places, including in Africa, because of all the pressure that China is facing in Nigeria, um, and other places. So I, I don't think it's a it's a particularly a, a time where Chinese diplomats are gonna be open to having conversations about these things. But, you know, th- these are long term projects. And I think the the only thing to do is to just keep the heat on.
2: So what do you think? We'd love to hear from you. These are contentious issues. One of the things we're trying to do on the podcast is to bring some of the issues that are not related to debt and to COVID-19. Of course, we're still gonna cover them on the show, but to try to bring some of these sustainability issues, we bring agricultural topics, things that are on the periphery uh, right now, given all that's going on, uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us directly, Eric at chinaafricaproject dot com or Cobus at chinaafricaproject dot com. Of course, you can find out more on our website at chinaafricaproject dot com, and there you can sign up for our daily email newsletter, where we go into the minutia every single day of what's going on in the news in the China-Africa relationship and power and energy and sustainability issues are one of the key themes that we address also related to human rights and whatnot. So for example, today we talked about the ZESCO and Power China deal for half a billion dollars of solar. So if you want to follow the China-Africa relationship in that day-to-day, all the minutiae that you can't get in other media, we would love for you to subscribe to our newsletter. It's half off for students and teachers. Uh, so go check it out, chinaafricaproject.com com/slash subscribe. So that'll do it for this edition of the show. For Kobus Fenstaden, I'm Eric Olander. Thank you so much for listening.
1: The discussion continues online. Head over to facebook.com slash ChinaAfricaProject to share your thoughts on today's show. The guys are also on Twitter, where you can find Koba's at Stadinski or Eric at E. Olander. And be sure to sign up for the weekly China and Africa email newsletter by going to www.ChinaAfricaProject.com.